You're listening to the Foreign and International Medical Graduate Show, a podcast to inspire physicians in the process of immigration to the United States and access to graduate medical education. We create meaningful and helpful content that motivates medical students and doctors throughout the world with the goal of creating a community that supports itself and gives feedback to each other, that stays updated with the most recent tips and advice on how to make it in America and become a successful resident or fellow in the speciality of your dreams. Dr. Alonso Osorio is board certified and residency trained in both emergency and family medicine and will be bringing you 20 years of his personal experiences, struggles and motivation. We'll be chatting with people like you to talk about the lessons they've learned along their personal path, how to make an impact and how we can all benefit from it. Also, we'll analyze the current resources available and how to benefit from them. Thanks for joining us. Please enjoy the show. Hello and welcome everybody back here in the Foreign International Medical Graduate Podcast. I'm super excited. I'm having a few days off and here I am ready to produce material for you guys. I'm back in the beautiful Tampa, Florida. It's pretty sunny, a little humid, and the weather is looking really, really nice to go diving. And why not to go deep diving and breath hold spells going into the deepest part of the ocean? And I brought today a very well-received and accepted physician and guest uh, his name is Dr. Juan Valdivia Valdivia. If you remember, he's a brain surgeon, brain and spinal surgeon based out of Tampa Bay. He's a personal friend of mine from Peru. And the last podcast was found to be extremely motivational. Just coming from my wife, she, she got some tears out of it and she never thought now that she actually knows him in person that she was such a spiritual friendly type of this inspirational person. And that's what we saw. And that was the feedback that we gather from the listeners. And so I'm excited to have him back on. So before we get started with Dr. Valdivia, who doesn't need more introduction than a fantastic resume. He's, and if you want to go deep down inside into what he currently does, go back to the last show, but we're going to keep it motivating. One thing uh, I wanted to let you know that osoriomd.com, the link connecting the Info at osoriomd.com was broken. It's finally active and I am receiving your request for a consultation for the incoming ECFNG certification period and eventually your match. So feel free to reach out to me at info at osoriomd.com and I'll be replying to you as soon as possible. So here we are, Dr. Valdivia. The show is all yours. Thank you for being back with us i appreciate it thank you alonso uh, thank you for having me it's a pleasure and uh very happy to be here with you well you and i have been uh talking for a while about giving it a shot to another podcast due to the significant success we had with the first one hmm. and i do know for a fact that on your free time you have a passion for something that I never really experienced. I saw some Colombians doing crazy free diving, but it seems that that's your sport. Tell us about it. What is it about free diving that you like, how you got into it, and where the passion for it came from? Well, free diving is a, it's a sport in which you do um, any activity holding your breath underwater. That's the definition of free diving. 
And I discovered it when I was faculty at the University of Michigan doing, uh, I was assistant professor in neurosurgery. I saw a documentary called Breathe by William Trubridge. And I randomly emailed USA Freediving and they said, you know, go take his course in the Bahamas. So I went from Michigan to the Bahamas and uh, my life was changed. You know, Freediving is, a, is, I believe is a shortcut to enlightenment when people do yoga or people do this uh, sort of dry land meditation techniques, like yoga, etc. Fidavin is a shortcut to that because it gets you away from all the distractions from the world. You cannot use your phone or get text messages underwater. And, and still you have to be present. So you're present in the here and the now. And it's a way to escape the confusion of the, our current times. Now you would ask yourself, so scuba is the same, right? Because you can breathe, it's better. But scuba is different. It's a different, it's a different discipline. In scuba, you're able to breathe and you're almost feeling as if you're in dry land because you're able to breathe like normal. In freediving, you have to be mentally and physically in tune with your, with your soul really to be able to be okay underwater. I think it's an amazing discipline and it makes me a better human being. Well, obviously you had to have some training and preparation for it. It's not that you can just go and dive on your own. Uh, you said that in Michigan, you took that trip to the Bahamas. I bet that by then you had been already some sort of uh, water aficionado mm -hmm. or how you ended up like holding your breath for minutes at a time and just yeah. finding joy at doing so. Yeah. I grew up in Peru, so I grew up surfing in the coast, and I always liked the ocean. I started scuba diving, and I was looking for something to relieve stress um, during my neurosurgery practice up north. And I was taking a advanced course in scuba once in Ohio. That's the the biggest land. Uh, they give the biggest water mass close to Ann Arbor, and it was a quarry. It was cold, dark, and it's in Ohio. Ohio is beautiful. But I almost died because my regulator started uh, releasing air. So it failed at 88 feet, which was where we had to be to pass. So I could not find my instructor at the time. So I decided to basically shoot up to the surface on, with zero air and I saved my own life. And after that, I felt like I didn't feel, I felt, I don't know, I felt elated to be able to do that. And that's why I went to take up free diving and I always like to work out, et cetera. For free diving, you don't need to be a bodybuilder. You don't need to be, you know, a mar marathon runner. You need to have some degree of fitness, just general fitness. But the, the journey to become a free diver and the journey to improve as a free diver, it's a feedback system where a human being advances and unlocks certain physical attributes and then gives you positive feedback. So freediving is a way, it's almost like therapy. You know, a human being takes up, takes up freediving. And every time you go either deeper, longer, or better technique, you learn something good about yourself. So you feel better about yourself. And then you want to do it again. Why? Because it makes you more mindful, makes you more controlled. And so that's, all those, all those uh, things are good for a human being. I'm a big proponent of that for not only mental health, uh, but also spine health. I tell my patients to get in the water. Really? Yeah, you told that to my wife and it really helped. And uh, I, I firmly believe that the water is the big healer. It can heal the mind, the soul, and the body.
Well, when you said that you need to be in some degree fit, one cardiovascular system or one system that has to be in shape is your cardiopulmonary system. You cannot smoke. You have to have fairly healthy lungs. And obviously your ear, nose, and throat passages need to be also kind of adapted to these uh, pressure equalization and all those kind of things. Mm -hmm. So I would say that probably there is a kick also into finding increased cardiopulmonary endurance, uh, diving or the capacity of holding your breath yeah. for longer times at a time? Yes, um, the we're born, human beings are born with this phys physiological phenomenon called the dive reflex. And that's something we don't learn. We can trigger it, we can train it, we can learn to improve it. That's something we're born with from birth because Somewhere in our genetic evolution, human beings caught this ability to survive underwater for a very limited time because the, the dive reflex involves bradycardia, so lower heart rate. That What does that do? That it reduces your metabolism, so that saves oxygen, right? That creates peripheral vasoconstriction, creating central hypertension, so your heart, your core gets more blood. Why? Because your brain needs more blood. Your brain is like the captain of the, the airplane. That's why I tell my students in free diving. And um, when you're running low on fuel, what does the pilot do? The pilot, you know, shuts down engine number one, engine number three, throws some luggage and you're flying on fumes. Your brain knows when it's underwater. So your brain has an evolution mechanism for preservation and it's telling, it's telling your body, I need more oxygen, number one, and I need more blood. So give me that those two because I'm important, right? So your brain is telling your body, peripheral basic constriction, your heart needs to pump more blood. And that is the dive reflex. And we're born with it. We don't buy it. We don't, <laughs> you don't learn it. Now you can train it. The better you train that reflex, the deeper you can dive, the safer you can dive. You reduce the risk of pulmonary barotrauma, we call it lung squeeze. So yes, your heart, your lungs need to be in top shape, your kidneys too, because you need diuresis. You trigger significant diuresis when you're in the water. Wow. Yes, so that's, uh, there's a lot of physiological changes that happen during free diving that for the beginner free diver may not seem important, for, for the elite free diver not, but for the elite free divers that's, uh, that's the means to dive longer, deeper. It's a whole, it's, it's amazing how that, that brings me into perspective to compare us with marine mammals who has the same, they have the same mechanism to dive. Dolphins, manatees, whales, they have the same diving reflex. So we share that little, little genetic, you know, a diamond with them. Well, uh, now that I'm rehearsing and kind of Relearning my cardiopulmonary physiology here is rather impressive what we humans can do, especially if trained properly. But also this diving reflex could lead to some sudden panic and, you know, um, potentially just swallowing water and just dying on the spot, right? Well, you don't feel the changes in your body. You can tell sometimes because in underwater you see your, your, your hands are sort of cold or mottled skin. So you, you can tell that there's peripheral vasoconstriction. You can definitely hear your heart rate drop. Like if I'm diving, my max dive is 61 meters, which is a little over 200 feet. And usually in the surface, you want to be, this is, I'm going to walk you through the process briefly. So Go in the ahead, surface, please. you, you want to be completely present in the here and now. And you have want to be floating at the surface, preparing for your dive. 
reading basically tidal volume. So it's almost, I tell my students, if you hold a candle in front of your lips, you could, you should barely see the, the flame move. Then when, when it's time to dive, you do a big, 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 huge inhale. First diaphragm muscles, then thoracic muscles, and then the lower neck, right? And then you start down. So your heart rate may be 90s starting because you're sprinting. You're trying to overcome the, your buoyancy. So you're buoyant at the surface. Once you get, let's say, to 20 meters, you become less buoyant. You start falling. So you feel that free fall. We call it the free fall. So you feel that you don't need to exercise too much. You're just falling by gravity because you become less buoyant. Your lungs wear X amount of volume at the surface. By 10 meters, which is two atmospheres, they are half the volume already. By 20 meters, they are a third of the volume already. So imagine a third of the volume of gas, air, compressed, compressed, then you're sinking, right? So once you're falling, then you need to be totally in tune and happy because then you feel the water in your face. You feel like you're falling. You need to adjust your streamlining. You need to tuck your arms a little bit and sort of become almost like a projectile. And this is the beautiful part of free diving is the free fall because you just feel like a different, like a different animal. Really, you become, you become your your marine mammal self, alter ego. That's why I call it. You know, you become totally present in the here and now. If you have a bad thought about, let's say, your taxes or work or the, tomorrow's dinner, you won't be able to do that dive as good. One bad thought can take away 20 to 30 meters of your dive or make you abort the dive. That's why free diving gets you in the present. It gets you in the present, but in, in, in a very happy present. You need to be happy and happy with yourself to be able to dive. And all you do in the free fall is stay next to the line. Usually there's a vertical line of yes, rope. I see. And then you equalize, equalize, and then you get to the bottom and then you turn back. Now, turning back, you cannot think, oh, I need to get back up. I need to breathe. Because if you do that, you will panic. You may likely black out. So you need to still trust yourself and pull up or thin up slowly enjoying my best dives have been where I don't focus on the target or on the depth. I focus on the experience. And I've done 60 meters before where I said, oh, you know, it's my last dive of the day. I've been resting. Let's see what, I'm just going to do a happy one, a happy dive. And I hit the ball, hit the bottom. And I tell to myself, oh, I'm here already. That was, that was really easy. And I come up. And that was a lot easier than saying, okay, I'm going to hit the target. I'm going to do this. Let me prepare. You see, freediving gets you in the present and it gets you to enjoy the journey rather than the goal. And that to me is, is it's a very, it's very soothing for the soul. And when you say soothing for the soul, the reason why we want to touch into this topic so deeply, it goes back to medicine. One thing is wellness and wellness for those foreign grads that really don't understand this rather new term that has been coined for the last 15 years is the capacity of finding like escape, like a relief of stress out of your current uh, way of life, uh, find some balance with people, your family, a sport. So for Dr. Valdivia, Valdivia, it is this, it is diving. And the other important reason why we wanted to talk about it is because he's a brain surgeon and his life 
could be managed in two different ways, I would say. Either he has a scheduled surgery in which he has time to prepare, plan the operation, or he has emergent surgeries. And I wanted to type of antagonize both situations on how being a brain surgeon, getting ready for lengthy surgeries, getting mentally ready for holding his urine and other body needs for hours, uh, not eating for 12, 18 hours, sometimes even more, correct? Mm-hmm. And being able to cope, cope with a stress, stay on the target, stay focused and be present on the moment, on the operation to avoid distractions so you don't probably cut or burn or incise the wrong brain structure. Mm-hmm. So how how do you think, Dr. Valdivia, that you can connect these two areas? Yeah. I think, so I make a parallel between surgery and free diving because they are both performance activities. You have to perform an activity at the top of your of, of your level, top of your performance level. I've been, uh, I've been in competitions before and I've done competitive free diving. So that's something you prepare to. Now, why is it important for me? The tricks that I used in surgery when I was training, I used them also to free dive. And it helped me become a good free diver without being an athlete from the beginning. So I use something called visualization. Visualization is a technique in which you visualize an activity or a performance before it happens so that your brain knows what it's supposed to do. So when you do the activity, the activity flows a lot easier and smoother. In surgery, I do that sometimes the night before. If I have to do a uh, uncommon or, or difficult uh, sort of out of the ordinary surgery the next day while I'm having dinner or I'm watching TV. I'm so I'm sort of unconsciously and sometimes consciously thinking of the surgery steps, walking myself through the surgery. And the moment uh, before I, I scrub in, or sometimes when I scrub in, when I'm washing my hands, I think about the surgery. So you are rehearsing the surgery, how it looked like, in, like uh, before you come in. So I, and I have definitely proven to myself that when I do that, the surgery goes a lot better, okay? Not the outcome necessarily, although it's related, but the flow of the surgery are a lot better. In free diving as well, you have to visualize your dive the night before and maybe the morning off. Uh, you visualize yourself being calm, present, happy. You visualize your duck dive, your descent, your sprinting, your free fall, the turn, your ascent. You visualize your surface interval, your surface particle, I'm sorry. So it's the same. It's the same technique. So I use that to dive. Now, what did I use to dive in into surgery? Now, uh, in diving, I used something that I learned before that I learned actually when I was a kid, when I was in, like in medical school. You, I learned that you perform better at an activity or a test when you tell yourself that you can beat it, that you can do it. That's why people that are very confident about something, I think they are able to perform better in that activity, whatever it is. So you you do something called mind programming, or I call it self-programming. I tell myself and I convince myself that I can do an activity, even when I haven't done it before, or is very difficult. Another a trick within that is to tell yourself, let's say in free diving, I would say, oh, I have to get to 60 meters. But in my mind, the night before I tell myself, well, I've gotten to 70 meters. So 60 meters doesn't look that bad now. Wow. Instead of 
you know, instead of saying, well, I've been diving to 55 recently and 60s, okay, I'm going to push it. But if I tell myself that I've done something a lot more difficult than that, then my current target becomes less stressful Correct. and more achievable. And that's a little trick in your mind that you can do. It's all about perception, right? The way you perceive and your perspective of things and your targets, it, it really gives you confidence to keep going, right? So if I tell myself, okay, I've gotten to 60 meters many times, which I have, then I say, okay, well, then maybe get into 60. It's, it's achievable. It's not that bad. And I, I did it and I do it. So that's my program. In surgery, it's the same. It's similar. So I tell myself, you know, I've done this surgery many times and I've even longer surgeries. So by the time I'm going to do this one, it's going to be okay. Right? You know, it's, it's, it's awesome that you're saying this because there is a concept here that could apply not only in life, sports, uh, and in, in your profession. You, let's talk about relationships. You want to make out of your relationship with your wife your significant other sometimes by visualizing how you're going to connect, talk to them. With sports, same thing for tennis. This is huge for me. It's huge for you too. Obviously, how do you foresee yourself playing that day? What the weather is like? What is it going to feel like? How you're going to be hitting your forehand, your backhand, etc. And in business, you know, people says, okay, how much money I want to make this year? Do I want to make a million, two million, five hundred thousand? What steps do I need to take and how do I see myself mm. to gain that confidence personally in my mind to take the necessary steps to succeed at something? I think uh, I think that's huge. When I was um, in high school, especially in medical school, I would I know that I would perform better at an exam when I I told myself that I would be that I'll do it, that I'll beat the test and I'll do it well. And I would sort of suggest it's almost self-suggestion. I don't know how to call it, but I would, I would make myself feel happy that and extra excited to be able to perform in that activity. I would think of my favorite food or my favorite friend that I want to talk to on the phone, etc. And then I'll, you know, it, it's almost giving yourself inspiration out of thin air. That same happens with other things in life, like relationships and business, etc. And I, I'm not telling you about business or anything like that, but <laughs> surgery, yes, you, the the more confident you are within reason, you're able to perform a surgery that is, you know, that is difficult sometimes. Within reason, I say, because number one, you have to be well-trained. Number two, you have to have done that before, right? You're not going to jump into a yes. huge leap. But, it, you know, you've heard this before. This is not new. You know, there's a big book that says believe without seeing, right? It's a big book that we've been somehow exposed here and there, but this belief without seeing, it's, this is the same. If you believe that you can do something without seeing it, you likely have a bigger, better chances of doing it. You, you were talking not only about your personal preparation, there's also some external factors that you would like to control. How do you control your team? Or what's the talk that you have with them or the talks that you already have had with them mm -hmm. over your years of practice to know what they need to do to make you succeed and have that dive or operation go well because I know that in the surface that is two, three, five people supporting you. Yeah. Despite the fact that you're lonely deep in the water, yeah. despite the fact that you're by yourself in the surgical field, yeah. there is so many people that they know that when you stand your hand, they need to give you a certain tool and not that the wrong tool that could really make a huge mistake. What's the talk that you have with your team before you go into the process? So making a parallel between this non-medical activity, which is free diving 
and, and neurosurgery, I think that you have to have, you develop over time, especially in surgery, some degree of emotional intelligence. You know? Okay. Emotional intelligence is a big, big concept that is different than IQ. IQ is your ability to manage and process information. Emotional intelligence or EQ, emotional quotient, is your ability to process and manage emotions. Very different. Both of them can give you different degrees of success, life or work or tests, etc. right? So in working with people, I learned over time, and I, I, it's a process, I learned over time that you have to be able to understand, identify emotions in others, in your team. Therefore, you're able to manage those emotions. You need to be able to understand your own emotions and determine if they're appropriate for the situation. Right? That's huge. That, that's not test. That's not great. That is working with others. And in a surgical team, you have to work well with others. Everyone has to know their role so that we are all focused on the outcome and to getting the job done. Is it important for you to work with uh, people that you like or you are comfortable with? Absolutely, 100%. It's better when I work with the, the surgical tech that I'm used to working all the time, okay? In diving, it's the same. I feel like when I am diving, with guys or girls that I know I really trust. I know they can save me if I black out at the bottom or whatever on the water. I know that I can quote unquote, let go. That's something that I, I learned in free. You have to surrender. You have to let go when you're free falling to the bottom of wherever depth. You have to surrender to the, let's call it, we're, we're going to talk. So let's call it, we're surrendering to the, to the present and we're getting rid of the monkey mind. I call it the monkey mind. The monkey mind is the part of your brain that is primitive. very primitive, right? We talked about this, right? Yes. So it's the monkey mind tells you, okay, we need to come up. It's too deep. It's time to come up. It's getting dark and it's getting cold and you're gonna get hurt. So that monkey mind is, is that. It's the evolutionary part of your brain that is for, it made for preservation. It tells you that when you see a tiger, you run. You have to control that. Right? The monkey mind is not, it's like a kid. It's like a baby. You don't talk to the baby saying, you know, stay still. Baby's not going to listen. You have to be soothing to the baby. So you have to tell your monkey mind, it's okay. <laughs> yes. Relax. Yes. So, and distract your monkey mind. For the baby, why do you have uh, little toys? Because you distract the baby, right? Same with your monkey mind, you distract the monkey mind. It's like, here, look at this. And you distract yourself. So what I do underwater, if I'm coming up from depth and I'm pulling on that rope and my mind is going crazy because yes. you get narcosis from nox, uh, nitrogen, high, uh, pressure, pressure, pressure of nitrogen, etc. I start counting. I count one, two, three. And I just distract my mind not to think of anything, just to concentrate on those numbers. Wow. I also concentrate on faces of, and this is a personal thing. I I, I see in my mind faces of my Father. diving buddies, eh, more like diving buddies that are telling me, okay. you can do it, it's all good. You have the urge to breathe, but you have 20 more meters, it's okay. It's gonna be fine, you're, gonna, you're almost there. So it's those are little tricks that you, you use to get back into the present, right? You have to control the primitive or paleo brain, right? The primitive part of your brain. Same in surgery. You cannot panic during a surgery. You have to be controlled. So you have to yeah. calm yourself, put yourself together, it, and it, get the job done. Even when things are chaotic or people perceive that they're getting out of control, if you yeah. lose control, 
yeah. Shuri will get out of control. Yeah, yeah. So, so Juan, one thing I noticed about you, and I think I said it before in our prior interview, that you're a very assertive, let's get down to business type of physician. When I call you, you're, yes, I'll be there. It's a pretty bad, let's say, epidural hematoma or intraparenchymal hemorrhage. You know that from the surgical action, you decided to take X, Y, or C steps. I'm not gonna go into the details of the surgical thought process that you do because I'm not a brain surgeon, but I can see the impending emergency that is going through your head, the amount of steps that you have to align, getting the OR, setting up, booking the time to take the patient immediately and talking to the family. Mm. And I have suddenly seen you kind of click in this mindset of mindfulness and despite the fact that you're feeling the pressure to take the patient into the OR, the family wants to know about what's going to be the outcome. What are you going to do to their relative or loved one? And suddenly from seeing this assertive type A go-getter physician become a very tender, kind, uh, sometimes loving physician, communicating in a very good fashion to your patients in those one or two minutes they have to dis talk with them. Mm. I don't know if this is something you learn along your practice, your career, or did diving make you a better person in, uh, in life to be a better physician or they're completely independent factors? I think that um, I do diving because it's almost like a self-therapy. You know? Okay. The physician becomes the patient in diving, wow. in, this, in my case, because... Um, Timing is like therapy. It makes you, uh, it heals the mind, as I said, the body. And me being a physician, caring for everyone but myself at work, I care for myself in the water. That's my therapy, my wow. time. Interesting. You become very selfish. When you dive for performance, it's the most selfish time you have. It's me, 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 me. And sometimes that's good. Now, when I go to talk to families, like you said, I learned that not from diving. I just learned that from home. You know, the way my parents brought me up and if I, you know, had a concern and the way my, my mom and my dad used to treat me and talk to me, I know that the best advice I could give to young physicians trying to cope with that is, you know, in medicine currently, we all want to be a business guy. You know, we yeah. all want to be business. We all want to know there's this. But when the, re the real art of medicine is not a business. The real art of, of medicine is not to do an MBA or to do this or management. That's not medicine. Medicine is an art and is treating a human being the same way you would treat yourself or your mom or your dad. So that's it. When I talk to a family, I put myself in their shoes and I talk to them like I would talk to myself if I was in that situation. And that changes everything. If you go with a business mindset to talk to a, a grieving family that is in the you have their family member in the brink of death, then you're going to fail. Yes. You have to be a human being. And you you become you become finally the guy that started doing medicine, you know, 20 years ago. Why? This is why I want to do medicine. Why? Because I want to help people. That's all. If you go with that mindset to talk to families, you will do good. You know, you will listen. I think, uh, yeah, that's, that's a concept. How, how important it is to, to keep the patient... Uh, first and as the center of your practice on a regular basis how how is it how crucial it is i know we kind of were talking about it earlier on and i wanted to bring it up also here as well mm. you you like that kind of stuff always putting the patient first and yeah not only customer service that's a whole different dimension but yeah 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 the patient first is it's nice when you see a slogan or a billboard on the street you know put the patient first okay let's talk let's talk 
It's called space baits, right? That's marketing. Yes. Marketing is a very useful tool. You can sell anything. <laughs> My mom was in the marketing business for 40 years. She can sell you a broken iPhone. <laughs> and you will buy it on the spot. Even if she doesn't speak English, she will sell it to you. So I learned that with marketing, you can say whatever you want and people will believe you. But when you put the patient first, that means that... Truly first. Truly first is you put yourself second. So you you forget you have to get the snack that you wanted to. You have to go to the bathroom sometimes. And and it feels good to put the patient first because I can sleep at night. Sure. You know, the current model of medicine and management and uh, organized healthcare and things like that. Sometimes, honestly, sometimes this this thing of put your patient put the patient first is conflicting to that. Because in one end you have human factor and in one end you have money. And tell me how they meet. So difficult to put those together, yes. right? Yes. It's either money or the patient sometimes. Yes. And and we see that in insurances, we see that everywhere, right? So yes. uh putting the patient first to me is, you know, just giving that extra five minutes of time to talk to the patient because I know that if I was that patient, I would want that. Right. If a patient, uh, you know, wants to get called uh, over the phone, then I call that patient and I tell him everything's going to be okay. And I think it feels good not putting the patient first really goes beyond uh, the financial type of medicine. It's it's for the human side of medicine. uh, Yeah. Well, that goes for our foreign medical grads. You know, we have said so many things that they can actually apply on a regular basis as they get ready to take on in this endeavor of sitting down to prepare for step one, step two, mm. step three, the OET. I mean, guys, try to consider to add on all these kind of meditative techniques, visualization. I know you guys been studying hard. I know you guys are preparing, taking thousands of questions, but consider to do a lot of visualization on how you're going to be performing the day of the exam to get rid of those butterflies in the stomach, the fears, all those anxieties that come up in the last minute that give you to ha- give you a mental block. Yeah. And suddenly obstruct your performance. So, yeah. visualization uh, is a huge tool that you can use from early on in your life for playing a sport to performing, you know, in the Olympics to taking a test to performing surgery later on. It's a it's a huge tool. Visualization. Yeah. I wanted to ask you two things that I'm curious about, and one concept that I you and I had discussed earlier today. Uh, why do you feel that the humans in general are inclined to be on the water, but at the same time, we don't know much about, about the ocean? And you call the ocean the big mother. And what what you meant by saying that in, in our preliminary conversations? I mean, I think the ocean uh, is pretty easy to, when you look at the, the map of the world and you see how big is the ocean, it's bigger than any landmass. You know, it's you can tell that there's something we have to have something in common with the ocean. Number one, there's so much life, and the water is a universal substance, right? For us to survive, you know, I ask myself, why do we are we drawn to the water so much? Is there something during our evolution creation that made us so connected to the water? I call it the big mother because in the ocean, we're all the same, we're all the same, we're not different. We're not rich or poor or black or white, or we're all the same. So we are uniform, right? That's to me, that's very attractive because it gives you, it takes a weight off your shoulders a little bit. It gives you more, it gives you a little bit of peace because you're in a very enjoyable environment. And 
happens. To me, every time I go into water and come out of the water, I feel healed. I feel like really stresses and things are washed out literally from my skin. I feel amazing when I go in the water. I wow. feel like I went to church. Wow. I feel a new person that day. And I cannot wait until the next one. Yeah, I feel like every and, and to me every time I touch the water, I just give thanks, you know, like I because I'm Catholic, I make the sign of the cross. Yes, That's what I do, right? Here. So That's what we but do. I feel I feel I feel thankful that I'm able to touch the water. There's gonna be somewhere something in our evolution, and I'm not a historian or whatever. That uh, that explains that you know if I don't know if you ever um, read about the um, aquatic ape theory. No, 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 no. So if you read the aquatic ape theory, it's maybe a far out theory that uh, states that there is a division in the uh, evolution tree. You know the the usual evolution theory is that we were in the trees, right, like monkeys, and then we suddenly got him you know, learn to make fire and make tools. And then we came down the tree and they start, you know, killing to eat. Right? Wow. Okay. But the aquatic ape theory, and I may be totally mis misrepresenting it. So my man, remember, it states that the, the older primates that were living next to the ocean or the shore were able to access the water. Uh, the, uh, the way they used to escape predators is to just, where do you go? If you have water, you just go into the ocean a little bit, like, you know, neck high. Why? Because the lions or the predators are not going to be able to swim to kill you. So you escape in the water. Sure. You don't go too far and you don't go in the ocean, <laughs> in the shore. You go a little bit. In between. It, it's almost like when I look at the, going to the beach, I go to Clearwater Beach. Where do you see people? Do you see most people in the show at the edge of the water? No. Very, very deep. Where do you see no, them? You see right them a little bit on the side, right? <laughs> Everyone likes to be there. Everyone likes to float where the water is like right, up, maybe just below your shoulders. Where you can float, but you can walk. Everybody, all human beings love that. But why do we love it so much? I don't How do we love it so much? I don't know. Right? It's important to know, right? I don't know the answer. But there's something that, that drives us to go there, right? So and it, again, the, the aquatic ape theory explains all the things like why your your fingers get red, you know, the surface of your fingertips get sort of, sort of uh, irregular when you are in the water too much, and says that was for friction, so you can get off the you know the rocks better. Explains uh, it may explain the the dive reflex. You know, who knows? But I like to read that theory because I would like to think it's true, you know. It may be totally false, but, you know, something inside me tells me that that kind of makes sense. And I, I think, uh, I don't know where we're going from this. But, no, don't worry about uh, it. But I think that's that's part of uh, evolution. That Let me ask you about something that you had said said before. Near-death experiences. Aye. And the passing out, how do you call it? When you pass out the, the blackout. And, and yes, let's talk, let's, let's talk, just to wrap it up, let's talk about quickly yeah. on blackout and near-death experiences in the water while doing deep diving. Okay. So explain us what's blackout first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's so go with that. In free diving, we have two terms that are popular, blackout and samba. Okay. Samba, so, like samba? samba? Like Z the samba. A-M-B-A? Like wow. the samba dance. Wow. So when you are, and from the medical standpoint, when you're ascending... There's physiological changes. You now the partial pressure of oxygen drops, so therefore the partial pressure of oxygen in your blood drops, in your alveoli drops, and etc. So when you're ascending, most of blackouts happen in the last ten meters. 
Oh, really? Most of syncope from medicine standpoint have been less than meters. So that explains the blackout really is a, is called, I call it a free diving related syncope or breath hole related syncope. And for the most part, I think most people would agree that's from hypoxia, cerebral hypoxia, right? Your brain notice in the chemoreceptors or your brain notice the drop in oxygen saturation and oxygen content. So your brain wants to preserve its architecture. So your brain said, okay, we're running on fumes. That's fine. We're going to shut down the big parts of our brain. So there's less activity on the frontal lobes, parietal lobes, occipital lobes, and just your brainstem functions. So you're skipping right on fumes. So therefore, when you see a shallow water blackout, which it's an old term, but let's use that today. Shower blackout, you see the uh, person, uh, the, the diver, unconscious but breathing and with a heart rate. So your brainstem's working, right? Samba is, is the in-between. Samba is, we call it loss of motor control. It's like myoclonic jerk. So when you see someone at the pool coming up from a long breath hold, yeah. or uh, you see someone shaking, trying to take their mask and shaking, yeah. And it's not a chaotic jerk. Uh, jerk. So it's from the from neurology standpoint, it's a myoclonic jerk. So it has a pace. That means that your brain is in the brain of normal or unconscious. Uh, loss of motor control, or we call it samba and free dining, can be conscious or unconscious. You can have somebody trying to take their mask off or uh, facial gear and still be awake and shaking and trying to continue being awake. But you can see somebody unconscious and shaking as well. So I call that unconscious LMC. It's a whole evolution of uh, clinical progression of cerebral hypoxia and free diving. That I have, I'm actually, I'm presenting that at the UHMS, the Undersea and Hyperbaric Medical Society meeting this year. Wow. Yeah, it's a non, not totally non-neurosurgical, totally not related to what I do. But I like diving so much that I'm going to present three abstracts to the UHMS meeting. I'm very happy. Wow. Yeah, so the blackout and uh, now I don't know if that's considered a near-death experience. I don't know really the definition. NDE, near-death experience. I guess if that happens to you in the middle of nowhere, yes, it could be an NDE. Um, but if it happens in the middle of 20 people looking at you and caring for you, it may not be because your chances of dying are a lot less. Yeah. But it feels like an NDE. When I had those, I made a huge mistake when I had a total fiasco in one competition in 2018. I... I was sleep deprived. I was working a lot. And one of my patients from an unrelated issue died, non-neurosurgical issue and a heart issue. So it really shocked me before I left for a competition. I was, as a physician, you feel a weight in your, in your mind and your shoulders. So I got to the comp and I said, okay, I'm going to dive 50 meters tomorrow. I just, I don't know. I wasn't, maybe I didn't take the right. So I blacked out at the surface after 50 okay. meters. And, uh, yeah, you feel like the tunnel. You see the tunnel, and then you you wake up. Yeah, and I felt out of the surface, but I was in the in a scenario where I had safeties, medics. I mean, so many people caring for me that it was nothing. And I was like, okay, wake up, fine. It was two seconds. One 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 last thing that I'm curious about: so, Do you get a kick of endorphins by going free diving? Because I know that the runners get the runners high. Uh, the runners high. high. I don't know if you get that same feeling going that deep. I think I, I get, I think during the dive, you cannot get adrenaline or excited because it will count, it will be counterproductive to your dive, right? Gotcha. It will be counterproductive to your bradycardia and mindfulness, right? But I think after, I do feel some, after when, like I say, we go on the boat to dive, a good session, and then we're running back in the boat, I do feel. I wouldn't say excited, but I feel something. I feel like almost endorphins. Yeah. Maybe oxytocin is elevated. The love hormone, right? We call it the love hormone. 
I think I feel I feel very I feel surrounded with love, you know, like I feel maybe oxytocin, maybe dopamine, maybe those two are, are involved in the after dive session. That's why we love it so much. We cannot wait until the next time we dive. <laughs> it's like a drug. It's yeah. like doing a drug, right? Makes so much sense. So uh but it's a good one. It's a good one. You know, I've never had any issues. I, I interact with very healthy, very good people, and it makes me a better human being. There's no studies, again, on that. This is my theory. You, you know, got it. Dopamine and, and, and oxytocin. Maybe. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm proud of you. Phenomenal foreign international medical graduate from Peru that successfully accomplished his uh, God, never-ending neurosurgical and spine trainings as a brain surgeon in the United States. So I'm really proud of you. I know that it's not easy. Yesterday night before I went to sleep, I was uh, listening to to Kevin Hart. And just to wrap it up, he was saying that many people want to be doctors, mm. but many people never took the commitment to go 8, 10, 12, 15 years mm. to school like you did. And that's what makes the difference. So sometimes people say, hey, I would like to be like that doctor. What he... I think it is. I'm just going to do it. But not many people have the discipline or the courage to go through the punishment and the training and mm. have that visualization of being conscious on, on your goals and in, in what you want to accomplish. Mm. So thank you for being part of this. Yeah. And, and thank you for being here. And please, uh, one last comment from Dr. Valdivia. Yeah, I know. I think becoming a physician, as I, I think I said it before, if you become a physician for the love of uh, doing medicine, I think you're going to be very happy. If you want to become a physician for fame or recognition or um, or money, you may be a lot of years waiting for that. Uh, and that may never come. And I, I became a physician because I wanted to be good to others and, and just be a physician, just be it, you know, not a neurosurgeon or whatever. I just wanted to be a physician. So I, I carry myself to patients as I'm a physician. That's all. Like a not just a neurosurgeon with this big, huge ego. Uh, try not to get that. That's a, that's a flaw that we neurosurgeons have, all of us. We are crazy and we can be jerks sometimes. I'm, I'm fully accepted. And also I wanted to say free dive, about freediving, never dive alone. Oh no. It's extremely risky. I want to make sure your viewers hear it. Freediving can disclosure. be disclosure. Yeah, this is very important for everyone. Disclosure, guys. Recently, I've had I've had um, encounters with people. Recently, in the springs, there was a, a guy that uh, blacked out in the water. There was a guy in another country that I happened to dive once with that died. So you see these little incidents all over, like happen isolated. But you know that's a sign that we're not doing something right for the sport. Freediving alone is extremely dangerous. Your chances of dying with a shallow blood blackout if you are alone are almost 100%. Wow. In my mind, in my book, right? You can be holding your breath on the bathtub. And if you don't do it right, you can die. There's no joke, okay? Even if you're holding your breath in dry, in your bed, and in the wrong circumstances, if you're alone in the house, you can die. Okay, no, I'm not joking. So number one, if you're interested in freediving after this talk, do not dive alone. Number two, if you're interested in freediving and you want to do it, take a class from whatever agency. I'm not going to mention them, but they're all pretty good. If you, I mean, you're just holding your breath. You know, if some, it's very good and you can learn from A to Z. It's very important who you choose as your instructor. It's a very fulfilling sport, but please don't do it alone. Please take a class. Please get certified somehow. 
And don't learn just from YouTube. You can learn from YouTube a lot of things. <laughs> when you're advanced, you know, you can learn a lot. But in the beginning, learn from somebody that really cares on how you will do. That's it. <laughs> I know how you say it. Well, thank you again. And the Foreign and International Medical Drive podcast is wrapping it up with episode 67. We're going to try to spice it up. We're moving into a new period of eligibility for the 2021-2022 ECFMG National Residency Matching Program Cycle. So I'm here to consult to help you out. Reach out to me, info at osoriomd.com and stay in touch. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you guys.